Welcome back to MMA BJJ and Life. This is your host. I am your host, DJ San Marco, on a uh, fantabulous uh, August 1st evening here in Laguna Niguel, California. That is, of course, the great Rolling Stones with Gimme Shelter. And uh, you don't have to give us any shelter because we're not going anywhere. Even if Mick and, and the boys do need some shelter, we don't. Uh, but we do love Mick. That's a, a great um, recording there from, uh, I'll put it on in the background a little bit, from Top of the Pop, uh, a British uh, pop show, variety show there in uh, 1969. And just a fantastic studio live version of Gimme Shelter by one of the greatest bands ever. And I did discover this week something that you guys probably knew. Um, the Rolling Stones inducted the Beatles into the Rock Hall of Fame and the Who inducted the Rolling Stones into the Hall of Fame. So what what could be more fitting than that? So uh, Mick was born to be a front man of a rock and roll band despite his uh, graduation from the London School of Art. So anyway, UFC 214. Um, it's MMA BJJ in life on Twitter. We are at... Um, MMA underscore BJJ underscore and life on Twitter. I'm sorry, uh, I had some issues yesterday where I recorded probably 30 minutes worth of audio to discover that uh, in fact um, that in fact uh, my uh, um, voice was not recording because I had my microphone turned off. So um, then I accidentally deleted my application today along with other applications on my computer. So there was quite quite a bit to uh, to fix up but we are here for you and we're going to give you a little bit of breakdown on UFC 214 and give you my thoughts and along with some pretty startling news that's come out in uh, relative to the UFC Dana White and Colby Covington over the last uh, let's say 48 hours um, but let us start with um, John Jones versus Daniel Cormier something that was even more compelling than I thought probably because Daniel uh, was able to put on a better performance than I suspected that he would. I thought John would come out, as you remember from tweets and things like this, more vicious uh, and really attack uh, the knees of Daniel. He did, but he didn't go after them with a sort of a Taekwondo-type sidekick where we've seen him really hyperextend guys' knees or kick them on the side of the knees and buckle their knee inward. Um, we didn't see the type of kicks to his knee. They were more bothersome kicks, pushing him back. I'm sure they would hurt most of us, but I mean, they were not the full extension John kicks where they're just so brutal. I mean, you can see in the highlight video of some of the kicks that John does and what it does to guys' knees, and it'll make you a little queasy. It was not that, so thankfully, um, he didn't do that. But what he did do was come out with a lot of volume, um, really keeping his boxing is much improved working with uh, Brandon Gibson. And um, he really kept Daniel busy defending the kicks to the knee that he throws with such ease that you have to, if not defend them, you have to be aware of them, you have to sidestep them, all that. Daniel responded with some inside low kicks, some outside low kicks, that were really good, and had he been able 
to continue that, and that's a large order against John. Uh, over the course of five rounds, it may have started to limit something that John did. It may not be enough. I don't know if Daniel's got enough pop, but there were some very nice kicks that uh, Daniel landed. Um, and this is really what was the beginning of the end of the fight, and what you guys should take away from this is that Daniel, the pace that one needs to come up to keep up with John to, quote, embrace the grind from the last time they fought, is that um, you need to come out in the third round and fourth round and fifth round like you did in the first round and second round. And Daniel didn't do that. Actually, Greg Jackson told John in the corner, he said he's going to come out in this third round and he's really going to try to push the pace on you. And what happened was the opposite. Daniel came out in the third and said, I got to rest this round. So he wasn't really throwing a lot of strikes. He was moving around. He was moving forward. But he wasn't throwing strikes. And for all of you that have trained jiu-jitsu or boxing or kickboxing, what happens when somebody is not throwing, let's just say, offense at you? When they're not throwing offense at you, you don't need to defend so much. So you can start creating your own offense. And that's what John did, is he started to set patterns. He started to uncork with a lot of different combinations and started to set Daniel up for the eventual head kick. They talked about the leaning. They knew that he leaned. They knew that he kept his right hand down, all these sorts of things. So it made it easier, not to say that couldn't have happened anyway, but it made it easier for Daniel to do that excuse me, for John to do that once he knew that Daniel came out and was looking to take a break and not throw the amount of strikes. So you've also heard that. You've also heard a bunch of analysts talk about that he was he was firing at John's head a lot. I did see him throw a few body shots, but maybe that's just one or two that stuck in my mind. But a lot of people who are far more expert in striking than I, um, like Ian Kidd and others, have said... Um, you know that that they should uh, he should have attacked John's body and then gone to the head body 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 head and then later on the head would be there and he would be able to work on John's cardio and a little bit the spryness in his legs by attacking the body and he really didn't do that as much um, John you know was landing knees going to the body the things that that Daniel should have gone and you can hear that like I said there are a lot of analysts out there who are far more expert in striking than I am but what I can tell you is we're talking about the effect and what I can tell you is it goes back to something we've discussed on the show on a number of occasions the cardio the sea level cardio guys going up against the mile high guys so we'll call them the Denver guys you know when TJ was trained there and John and and a number of the Jackson guys cowboy and if it turns into a battle of cardio, you're going to lose that battle. And you look at the Florida guys, you look at Yoel Romero, had he been more, um, had he, let, let's say he had been uh, more alert and, and had better cardio and was a little more sort of energetic later in that fight, he might have beat Whitaker um, because he could have attacked more, but instead... Uh, uh, the the though uh, Whitaker also trains at sea level, he's younger, cardio obviously a little bit better, and he was able to take it to Yoel and keep Yoel off of him, and uh, and eventually get enough rounds and get a decision to win the fight. So I believe Daniel not training at cardio at altitude 
going to Denver or going to Albuquerque or wherever he wants to go um, would have made a difference and would have given him an advantage in the fight. Um, and a lot of guys don't see that until they get there and they get in a situation. Now, obviously, Kane, you know, he was fighting at over 7,000 feet when he was gassing against uh, Fabricio Verdum, and he only had 10 or 11 days or something in the in the altitude where compared with Fabricio Verdum that did his last 30 days in camp in the mountains of uh, Mexico. So, so there you have it. Um, that's how I saw that one. Um, I also want to point out that for as many let's say not flattering things that I pointed out relative to John Jones with the lies that he's told and his betrayal of Rashad. If you read my piece on bloodyelbow.com, thank you very much, Kidnate Wilcox, for uh, putting my um, getting my story up there to where you can access it. It's a fan post, but you can access it on the front page. Thank you very much, uh, Nate and uh, the Bloody Elbow folks. Uh, my story about uh, Amanda Nunes and her pullout, and then my story about the history of John Jones and Rashad Evans and how that played into the fight with uh, Daniel Cormier. I want to give John a compliment. I was extremely gratified and and to hear the heartfelt words, which my wife thinks are complete BS, but we have nothing no evidence to support that but she's very skeptical but uh, I was very the, the words that John had for Daniel after the fight saying that he's a, fa- a great father and a great husband that he would aspire to be and, and a great champion and all those things are words that um, I was surprised to hear from John it's what I wanted to hear from Ronda Rousey after she fought Misha Tate the second time and Misha fought so hard against her, had taken her further than anyone had, and um, and all uh, Rhonda could could uh, muster was a, a middle finger and showed what a child and what a baby that she is. And I mean that as a as a fighter. I don't know what she's like in her personal life. I only know her as a public personality and a, and a fighter. And and she looked like a complete baby. And John and and John looks like a, an adult and a, and a human being and showed something that I thought, if it's real and if it's genuine, was something that I think will help carry him into the future uh, as a champion and as a person, more importantly, because ultimately he will end up not fighting at some point and then you're just left with who you are as a person. And that was very, very kind and very magnanimous what he said to Daniel Cormier. So congratulations to the greatest fighter ever, John Jones. Daniel, it was just too much to overcome. The size, the reach, the greatness, the toughness, the chin, the creativity, the artistic nature of his, his striking and his wrestling and everything that he does. He's just the most amazing fighter that I've ever seen, probably, along with Demetrius Johnson, arguably. And... um. And it was a little bit too much. Daniel, there was an avenue there had he been able to keep up the pace because uh, most people gave Daniel the second round. The first round was very close. You could see the first round to go to John uh, and then and then perhaps the second round to Daniel. But um, it is immaterial at this point because, um, you know, because uh, John was able to set him up for that uh, beautiful head kick. But a lot of that, you know, again, is that what you have to know is a lot of that is because of, I believe, because of Daniel's cardio. 
because um, you have to have that cardio and keep that pace up or John will just eat you alive. He's training at 5,000 feet. He did a bunch of swimming. Brandon Gibson actually is an employee of the city. He's in charge of uh, some of the Albuquerque pools. Um, and John is able to go and do a bunch of swimming. So you're swimming at 5,000 feet. So you can imagine the cardio you're getting from doing that. Um, and that's very, very helpful. And Daniel needed that kind of an advantage to be able to at least put the volume to give him what I guess we could say most plainly a fighting chance. And because of, you know, training at sea level, not having that advantage, he just didn't he just didn't quite have it, and he was looking to rest in that third round. That much is clear. All right, on to the next story that's become the biggest story in MMA coming off of this weekend. Tyron Woodley in his uh, win uh, over Demi and Maya. Um, it's something that we predicted on the show. We predicted John Jones would beat Daniel, and he would probably uh, KO him. And we predicted that Tyron Woodley would either knock out or, or beat Damian Maya, and that Damian Maya would not be able to take him down. Unfortunately, that was true. And I, I don't say that to throw shade at Woodley. It's just, you know, I'm a fan of Maya just because he's a jiu-jitsu guy. But also, I'm also a big fan of Tyron Woodley in the sense that if you have, excuse me, um, if you haven't heard his show, he is hilariously funny. He's very engaging. He's a super intelligent guy. He's just like a, a cool guy. And what it's come down to now is that I think I've been a little bit, maybe I've been a little bit unfair with his last fight against Stephen Thompson. It was a crap fight. This was also a crap fight um, because he didn't go for the finish. And that's frustrating to Dana White. So if you are out there and you're trying to play, play referee, between Dana White and Tyron Woodley, you're going to find yourself in a quandary. Because you're probably saying to yourself, that fight did suck. And that fight was boring, and it was the second boring fight. And now you're saying, as Michael Bisping pointed out, what happens if you take that guy and you put him in the ring with George St. Pierre, who likes to jab 100,000 times from training with Freddie Roach, and throwing all these jabs like he did at Jake Shields, which is basically like four rounds worth of jabs out of five. And what happens if he does that? And then Tyron's dancing around and he's kind of, you know, kind of looking and picking his shots and trying not to give up the takedown to George. And what are we going to have? It is quite likely, I, I hate to say this, it's quite likely, as Bisping pointed out, that that would be another super boring fight. And how's he going to explain away that one? Well, I went against two specialists. I had the striking specialist in Stephen John, uh, Thompson that beat everybody. And now I have Damian Maia and the jiu-jitsu specialist. And then I got St. Pierre, and he's really conservative. So, you know, who knows how that fight would have played out. It's kind of immaterial now because Dana White assured us that Michael Bisping is going to get the fight. Personally, I'd rather see him. I mean, I'd like to keep the divisions where the divisions are, and I would like to keep George fighting at 170 and keep the uh, middleweight contenders up there uh, fighting the middleweights. I'd like to see, you know, since uh, Robert Whitaker hurt his knee, it would be great to see Yoel Romero and Luke Rockhold. Apparently, Romero turned down something with uh, Luke. So, 
you know, maybe Weidman's going to get in there and jump back in there and he's going to fight Luke in a rematch. Who knows? I don't know how they're going to how they're going to handle that. Um, but those are interesting to me. GSP, not very interesting because even if he did beat Bisping, what is he going to do then? He's not going to get in there with Rockhold. He'd look insane. He's going to look tiny. So he's not going to take a fight like that against a huge guy. He's not going to fight Weidman. So it's just a mess. So then the news comes out. Tyron is very angry and deservedly so because, again, no matter what Tyron did in the cage, you, as a promoter, you can be frustrated, but you have to be an adult and you can't come out there and lay waste to your champion to the media. Because that's a guy you're going to have to promote. So you remember we talked about on this show which business model is Dana adhering to that says we, we, we de- take a depreciable asset, we further purposefully and forcefully depreciate that asset, and then we expect to get a return that is equal to what it would have been without us damaging that asset when we promote it. Uh, that asset again and that we all know that's not going to happen you don't scratch and dent the Porsche and then expect to get the same price for it or the Lambo or the Ferrari or the Maserati right Um, we expect if we scratch it if we dent it it's not going to be worth as much so we don't want to scratch and dent Demetrius Johnson or Tyron Woodley or any of these guys unless we really really have to you might be a John Jones who you know, ran away from the scene of an accident and maybe they are going to scratch and dent you a little bit, their promotion. Maybe that's what you get when you do stuff like that. But as a promoter, generally speaking, you don't want to do that. You'll want to craft a statement that is at least exculpatory, I guess, of that person's fight. And then you come back and you, uh, and then you talk to that fighter and go, you know what, that's not the kind of fights we want to promote, Tyron in a room alone with him but you don't want to throw shade on him um to use uh the young folks terms uh in front of the whole world because we we need to promote that guy at some point so and tyron is just to me like a fantastic guy he's a great analyst he's great on tv he's handsome he basically has everything going for him he's family man so he is so upset about Dana publicly shaming him. He says, I want not him to say sorry to me. I want a public apology in the media to me, or I'm going to release some stuff that I know about Dana that he's done. So you're like, whoa, you just said what? You just threatened the boss? So I don't know what conversations have now gone on between Tyron's management, and I'm not sure who his manager is, to be honest with you, and Dana, here comes Colby Covington, someone who had already called out Woodley, who said that he would beat the hell out of Woodley, that said Woodley didn't want any part of him in training, didn't want any part of going against him, and I'm not saying that that's true or agreeing with him, and Colby Covington says, don't worry boss, got your back bruh, I've got stuff on Woodley. Now, what the hell could that be? When you say something like, I've got stuff on Woodley, that has to make you wonder. And when you talk about a man that is a 
clean living kind of guy going down there in Florida training by you know staying there by himself is it possible that he knows something that Woodley did while down there in some sort of camp or training for a week or two weeks or whatever is there something that he knows that perhaps the public and the world doesn't know it's hard to say but and I don't want to speculate as what he might know but you know I mean if if we eliminate the possibilities he's not going to say I knocked him out in training I beat him up I saw you know I mean it's not going to be something like that so it'd have to be something more embarrassing to Tyron than something that happened in the training room um, that he tapped him or that he knocked him down or knocked him out I don't think I don't think that's what he's referring to. Tyron, as far as I know, has not responded back to Colby. So that is very, very curious as to what Colby might know. But it's certainly the shit has gotten pretty thick as it relates to Colby Covington and Tyron Woodley and Tyron Woodley and Dana White. Very, very interesting. As far as the fight, really there's not much to say I mean, Damien's a one-trick pony. We never thought that he was going to be able to take down Woodley or hold Woodley down. Um, maybe he would have been able to hold Woodley down, but the fact of the matter is, is he couldn't get him down, so it doesn't really make any difference. Um, and um, and um, Dana, you know, Dana threw shade. Now Colby's throwing shade at Woodley. I don't know how this is all going to turn out. As far as who is Woodley's going to fight, I mean, if you really take a look at it, there's really nobody interesting for him. I don't want to see him fight Robbie Lawler again. I agree with Tyron. He was out for a year after he got knocked out in whatever it was, a minute and a half. Um, I don't see him in the title picture. I see the wind. God, God help if it's Wonder Boy. I would love to see George Masvidal in there, but he's got a fight with Wonder Boy. So maybe Colby Covington is the next guy to fight Tyron Woodley. Uh, but now Tyron Woodley has a tor torn labrum. I think he's going to be out of action. So um, maybe you have the winner of Neil Magny and Dos Anjos fight Colby. I don't know. It's It's very messy now with the injuries between um, those principles right there. Um, Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal are great friends, prior roommates, and they're only going to fight if there's a title. So you can forget about that. If Wonder Boy wins, you could expect to see Colby go up against Wonder Boy, perhaps. But it's very interesting stuff in the 170-pound division and less complicated now that GSP's not come back and taken part in that. Um Christian Cyborg Justino beats Tanya Evinger. I, I really don't have much to say about that. Uh, Tanya Evinger was tough enough to um, to go for three rounds and then got TKO'd with knees. I don't know. I don't find anything super compelling about that fight. Um, I'm Hats off to Tanya. I'm glad she's in the UFC, got the opportunity. And still with the Cyborg show... I really don't see Holly Holm fighting um, Cyborg unless she receives an unrealistic amount of money. And I, I, I don't know. I just don't see that fight going well for Holly. 
it would be a name, it would be something UFC could put together and make some money off of, but even being the counterpuncher that she is, the more that Chris gets hit and the more she gets angry, the more aggressive she becomes, and the fight style that we saw the other night against Evinger, I guess if I could say something interesting about this fight, this is just totally off the cuff, I have nothing to back this up, no evidence at all, she actually looked to me like she was carrying Evinger through the third round. Had she come out and swarmed her the way that she did, I believe Chris could have got her out of there in the first round, early in the first round. And for some reason, she wanted to create a narrative. This is just pure speculation. I have nothing to base this on. But I believe that Chris wanted to create the narrative that girls can have competitive fights with her. And that would encourage girls to want to step up and get in there with her. I believe if Chris goes out there and blows this girl away in 45 seconds, if she could get her against the cage and do that, do what she did, then that just discourages girls further from wanting to get in there with her. Maybe not Megan Anderson. I'm sure she would have been there regardless. She's seems like she's game to get in there, but she just does not have the experience and the skills yet to be a significant challenge to Cyborg. So it's not terribly compelling when the situation is that. So, um, so I find that interesting, but it looked to me like that they wanted Chris to carry her a little that Chris carried her a little bit and was going to take her into the third round, you know, a couple rounds in, and then finish her. I don't think she went out there to try to finish this girl early in the fight. The girl looked bewildered straight on every time she hit Chris. As people said, nothing phased her, and she counterpunched her really hard. And it looked to me like Chris carried her into the third round. I'd love to hear other people's opinion on that. Um, What else do we have? Um... Robbie Lawler, Donald Cerrone. I picked Donald Cerrone. I thought Donald Cerrone won the fight. Um, I thought he, obviously, he lost round one, but I thought he had won rounds two and three. Robbie took round two off. Uh, Round three was close, but I could see it for Cerrone. Uh, The judges absolutely loved Robbie and his style, and he got the win. I thought it was Cerrone's fight, but it's fine. I mean, I love Robbie Lawler as much as the next guy. I don't want to see him fight for the title again. Um, I, it's just not compelling, and I don't know that he has the right skill set to be Tyron. Tyron didn't even leg kick him. I mean, he basically came out there and just blasted him and gave him one right hand and put him to sleep. So, Volkan Ozdemir, uh, the Swiss student of great um, uh, Dutch uh, kickboxing stylist and fighter and coach Henry Hooft uh, beat up uh, Jimmy Manoa, KO'd him round one. That's what I predicted was going to happen. I think he hit him with a, an uppercut, if I remember correctly. I'm not not too sure, but I knew it was really it was 42 seconds into the first round, and I didn't think that was going to happen, but I did think that he was going to beat Jimmy Manoa. Um, I knew Jimmy Manoa had KO power, but Ozdemir has a just a 
a beautiful striking game and he is the perfect student for Henry Hooft because he has no fear in him. He just goes for it. So um, I look for big things for him. Um, Ricardo Lamas against Jason Knight. I picked Jason Knight, so I got that one wrong. Um, and I thought that, um, I thought Jason Knight would be able to overcome, but he ended up, as you said, defensively, just, it, it wasn't there. He had gotten rocked by Lamas on the ground when he swept back to his feet. He took a couple shots and he just never could recover. And, and, um, I think he would be a great candidate to, uh, come and work with uh, coach Luttrell over there in Albuquerque and get, uh, some of his game squared away and get some of his fundamentals squared away. But, Tough as nails, brilliant jiu-jitsu on the ground, great job with his mission control, and Ricardo Lamas just showed what a great, well-rounded fighter that he is, and he's even better than I thought. His ground and pound was beautiful. His hands were beautiful. His punches were not, he didn't throw nice straight punches. He threw these kind of looping punches, um, but when you're somebody who has the lack of head movement and striking acumen that Knight has, you get, and you're a little bit dazed as he was, you get hit by those punches, unfortunately, but big, big bright future for Jason Knight, stock up on him, and obviously congratulations, stock up on Ricardo Lamas. Um, Aljamain Sterling, a guy that I really like, uh, but not as much as I like my friend, uh, Henan Barao, who I had uh, dinner with the night before um, the fight, he not looked great, looked better physically than he had in years. His diet was on point. His weight cut was on point. I got to meet his coach, Jason, from Power MMA, who's up here doing his conditioning, cooking food in the room for Henan, so he wasn't eating any junky food. He was eating good, solid, healthy, uh, proportioned meals uh, leading up to the fight, and he just didn't have it. Um, a great night uh, with his footwork or his defense, uh, his defensive movement in order to uh, stay away from Aljo, and it just didn't work. And then on the ground, he was able to, he took more damage than Aljo did when he had Aljo down. So congratulations to uh, Ray Longo, Matt Sarah, Aljamain Sterling, a fantastic uh, fighter and prospect, and uh, one love to my friend Henan Barao. He will be back. And um, he suffered a bit being down at um, at Novanyao all those years where none of them really improved. Gadelia didn't improve. Jusier didn't improve. Honey Marks didn't improve. Um, Jose Aldo didn't improve. Um, most of those guys did not improve very much, um, save for the fact that they had a couple boxing coaches come in. Great. Um, there's a lot of aspects to MMA other than boxing. Um, so, um, I don't think Novignao made anybody better and Barao's no exception. And unfortunately he wasn't getting, though he's with, uh, Mestre Jair Lorenzo now, his original coach from the North over at Power MMA. So I expect bigger, better things out of Barao, more professional training than what he was getting, better facilities, better fitness, better everything down there at, um, down there at Power MMA, I expect great things. Um, T-City Brian Ortega uh, the taps Henato uh, Moicano, and I'm not surprised there. That's what Brian Ortega does. There was no reason for Carnero to uh, 
to dip his head in there and try to take him down when he was doing well on the feet. And the more and more you watch the sport, when you make dumb tactical mistakes, um, you end up, you can pay for it at this level. And Ortega's the guy, if you give him an opportunity to use his jiu-jitsu, he is going to make you sorry that you did that. And he did just exactly that. So, um, so that's really all I have. I don't want to uh, belabor the, the point today. Um, I wanted to um, get into uh, the Jones fight. I wanted to get into what I thought contributed to Cormier losing. Because now that's not to say he wasn't going to lose anyway. I mean, you're talking about one of the, you know, the greatest fighter of all time. But it, it helps when your cardio's not on point that you come in there and um, and you're not able to put the volume on and you saw as soon as the volume dropped off John took over and that's the takeaway it's not the it's we're talking about the cause and then we're talking about the effect and that's that's what happened there and then relative the intrigue relative to Tyron Woodley again I think a lot of people have been unfair to Woodley. I think I've been unfair to Woodley sometimes, uh, especially after the last fight, which I said was unadulterated crap. Um, it's very hard to say, but when you listen to Tyron talk, he's extremely persuasive. He will make you, he will point out things that you didn't think of. And he makes a very good case for himself. He tore his labrum. He said early in the first or second round, I can't remember which it was, had to go the next three rounds with it. Felt his shoulder come out a couple of times. And um, not easy what he did. So I I have some sympathy for Tyron Woodley um, that, and I don't want to be, I don't want to be unfair. I don't know that what we're going to see is going to be, um, I don't know if, if what we're going to see is going to be the um, Tyron Woodley of old because he's protecting the belt now. And I guess the, the point I want to make that, that I thought of earlier that I want to make to all of you is that the problem I think we have, we talked about cause and effect, talked about cause and effect with promotion. You know, you... You, you scratch and dent a fighter, you get angry, you act childish like Dana does, then you go out and you expect to promote that person and them to bring in pay-per-view buys when you just told everybody they suck and they're not going to get to fight St. Pierre or Nunes is a head case and therefore um, she's not getting a main title fight again. Well, you know, that's not going to do much for her brand when you try to sell her as a co-main event. Um then we see we said well Daniel's cardio he tried to take the second the third round off he was getting tired with the volume and the pace that John put on him and so the effect was that was the um the, the cause was his cardio the effect was the volume went down and then the further um the further advancement of that effect was that John was able to start piling up offense get creative land the head kick now um, what is yet, when we look at Tyron Woodley, cause and effect, and we looked at what he's doing, he's protecting the belt, he's protecting a salary, 
you know, some guys say, oh, well, you go from making 500000 to making 75000 when you go from champ to, depending, now this all depends on your weight class and other factors, but when you go from champ to contender, I believe that therein lies the problem, is that we can't have such a disparity between people in the division and champion, because then if you when you do that you then have people that say i got something to protect i got i'm getting checks i'm getting promotional money to do commercials i you know eugene robinson pointed this all out uh eugene s robinson pointed this all out and knuckle up i'm getting speaking endorsement um uh, to go and speak to groups and motivational speaking i'm getting roles in movies and commercials, I'm getting roles with lines in them, and Tyron's had all these things because, and now he's got UFC. So now you cut the pay, and you know he doesn't have the title. He loses some of that, at least some of it, and and the pay goes to a level that makes people say, "I'll do anything, not to put this thing on the line when I'm a hundred percent and take as little risk as I can." Because I don't want to go from 500 grand to 75 grand. Maybe it should go from 500 grand to 300 grand or 350 grand. I don't know what what it needs to be, but there's too much of a disparity between people at the top of the sport, and we're just going to leave out the name Conor McGregor for the time being, because it's fair to unfair to juxtapose anybody against him because he's just making you know he's just made so much money and he's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger so we'll leave him out of it we'll leave out Rousey and we'll just say the Bispings of the world and the Mighty Mouses of the world and the Tyrants and people like that and the Domin uh, sorry not Dominicers the Cody's of the world and when you add in all those guys the person behind them should be making reasonably close to the salary that the champion's making because if you don't this is what you may get from some guys you may get an extremely conservative game plan now i say that and then Stipe miocic goes out and knocks everybody out in one or two rounds you know um but Stipe was a little a matter of survival he'd gotten kicked in the legs so hard by um i'm trying to think of who he fought, it was a junior, kicked him in the leg really hard, and he came out because he's like, I don't want to get kicked like that again. i got to get this guy out of here. Stipe does not have legs on him that can take leg kicks. We've said that before. And you'll see there, if he gets in there, man, if I were if I were Greg Jackson, those guys, and I were coaching Alistair Overeem, the leg-kicking power and technique that... Alistair Overeem has within his body is something that Stipe Miocic and his legs cannot take if he fired it with authority and placed it and threw them with a frequency that he could take Stipe down with leg kicks. He really could. He could do an Edson Barbosa on Stipe, but I don't think that they'll come out and do that. I think they'll come out and he'll run away and he'll try to paw and jab and stick and move and run and run and run. But if he fired and smashed him with some leg kicks, I think he puts Stipe on the floor. So that's my thought. Anyway, so um, take that, put that in your pipe and smoke it. But I believe that the disparity in pay 
will get you some of the conservatism that we see. And also, as long as we're talking about uh, Alistair Overeem and Stipe Miocic, I agree with him. Alistair should not be making $800,000 a pay-per-view. I don't care how long he's, excuse me, a, a fight um, with no win or no win bonus, etc., etc. He doesn't deserve that much money. He is not that much of a draw. I realize he's been in the sport a long time. I respect that. But I don't believe that Alistair is in a place where he should make more than the champion makes. So I'm, you know, I'm not trying to make, I'm not trying to argue against myself. He should be making less than the champion, but there's no way he should be making more than the champion. You know, if you want to tell me that Stipe makes five and Alistair, because of the amount of time he's been in the game, makes four, I'm okay with that. You want to tell me Stipe makes five and Alistair makes eight, I'm going to have a problem with that. So take that for what it's worth. And um, and we'll see. Daniel, obviously, he made a million for this fight in a loss. Um, and he deserves it. Um, and plus, he's a, he's a entity. He's a talent for Fox TV, just like Tyron is. And they're both very good at what they do. And, and I hope they that he continues. In fact, I hope he retires because I don't see anybody out there that he needs to fight. What's he going to go fight? Volkan Ozdemir? I mean, it's ridiculous. There's no reason for uh, him to fight again unless he just wants to keep fighting and keep getting paid for a million dollars that you know that is certainly uh well he's not going to make a million next time i don't know i mean he's probably going to lose at least half his salary now for his next fight he said oh, i walked away with a million this time next time it'll only be 500 grand so who knows he lives up in the bay area it's probably super duper expensive there's no doubt that it's super expensive wherever it is that he lives um so um so that's all I got for today. Uh really just wanted to illustrate the fighter pay issue and um wanted to talk about um you know the tyrant thing. This is going to get really really interesting now when we see uh what happens with um this is going to get really interesting when we see what happens between Colby Covington, Dana White and Tyron Woodley if is Tyron going to reveal something about Dana? I say he won't. I say Dana calls him and backs him down. And uh, because then Colby Covington is going to release something about Tyron. Or worst case scenario is if Dana White calls Colby and says, what do you have on Tyron Woodley? Because I want to have that in my pocket. That could happen in an instant with guys that want to get close to Dana White. I mean, don't you... Don't you uh, think that that isn't something that could very, very easily happen? So, anyway. Thank you for uh, listening to us on MMA BJJ and Life. You can find us on Twitter just there at, at MMA underscore BJJ underscore and Life. DJ San Marco one at gmail.com if you want to uh, email there and yell at me and tell me how terrible I am or ask questions or get any kind of a dialogue on. I'm on Twitter all the time. I love it. I have fun with it. I try not to be um, too... Uh, <laughs> try not to be too aggressive on there unless I'm talking about complete idiots like, uh, well, somebody I won't mention. Uh, so, anyway, thank you very much for listening. 
um, be cool, be careful, and as always, I'm always wondering what's up around the bend.